listeners, my name is Jason Jeffries, and this is Bookin', brought to you by Quail Ridge Books, Raleigh, North Carolina's trusted community bookstore. My guest today is National Book Award winner, Whiting Award winner, and if we are doing this the right way, future Nobel Prize winner, my friend William T. Volman. His latest book is The Lucky Star, published by our friends at Viking. Bill, welcome to the program. Oh, well, thanks for having me back, and um, it always makes me happy to talk to you, my friend, and I hope I get to see you again soon. I hope so, too, and it's an honor to have you here again, Bill. Thank you so much. Um, the Thank last yeah, the last time I saw you, uh, we were at the Raleigh Brewing Company on Hillsborough Street in Raleigh, North Carolina, and you had just wrapped up your second appearance at the North Carolina Book Festival. You had recently had a scare with cancer, a diagnosis that shook me quite a bit at the time. Uh, how have you been feeling since last year, Bill? Um, well, um, you know, I'm not going to be the same as I was, so, um, you know, I've got a little um, nausea and pain most days, but once I realize that that's not an emergency, it's just how it is, um, it's not bad. And in the meantime, uh, it helped me lose some weight, so I walk more, so no bad takes, and hopefully I can say that when they're lowering me into the grave. It'll all be good. Right. Well, I'm glad you're walking more and uh, hopefully feeling a little bit better, Bill. And I hear you are traveling to Iraq soon. Uh, what are you going to be doing there? Um, well, um, I'm going to uh, teach a couple classes over there um, and uh, kind of sing for my supper a little bit. But um, um, what I really want to do um, is interview some uh, Iraqis who went through Abu Ghraib and just understand what that was like for them and what the occupation was like, is like. Um, and um, depending on conditions, I may try to um, go into and um, interview some uh, people in one of the ISIS prisons. Oh, wow. Thanks, Bill. Um, let's now talk about your new novel, A Lucky Star. When we last spoke, this novel was going to be called The Lesbian. Uh, why did you decide to change the title? Um, well, apparently, um, my publisher decided that uh, I had the wrong equipment between my legs. Mm. Um, so... Um, if I had been an actual lesbian, I could have called it the lesbian. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if I had been a lesbian, um, if I would have been allowed to call it the heterosexual. <laughs> but um, I guess I'll never find out. <laughs> so, um, you know, usually I'm not very good at compromising, but I thought, well, um, to compromise none of the time is kind of bullheaded. Mm. All of the time is kind of cowardly, mm. and uh, so to compromise 5% of the time is okay. Um, um, and, you know, now I'm used to the title, The Lucky Star, uh, which was one of my alternate choices. I can't say I'm happy um, with, you know, with what happened, but it's an adequate title, and I got to have my say in an afterwards, so... I'm a big boy. I'm not going to hold a grudge. Sure thing. And uh, for our listeners, what is the lucky star that the title is referring to? Uh, 
Well, um, Judy Garland used to say that maybe she was born under a lucky star, um, somewhere over the rainbow or under the rainbow or who could say. And um, there is, um, you know, sort of a, um, a subplot about um, the, uh, the self-exploitation and the exploitation by others of um, celebrity figures um, such as Judy Garland. Right. Um, and Bill, this novel, The Lucky Star, is largely set in San Francisco's Tenderloin District. Uh, I came to your work when I was living on Post Street between Hyde and Leavenworth, and I was given a copy of Whores for Gloria. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, Whores for Gloria, your behemoth novel, The Royal Family, and some of your short stories are all centered around the heart of the Tenderloin District. What is it about this neighborhood that keeps drawing you back? Well, um, it was in the Tenderloin when I really started um, working with American street prostitutes and understanding a little bit about that very, very intense, um, brave, sad, uh, scary, and, uh, uh, and sometimes um, very, very... Um, kind and almost sacrificial way of life um, and um, the lucky star among other things is about um, a human being trying to love um, widely and unconditionally um, to be um, a kind of female Jesus figure and um, of course um if I were going to try to love others the way that Jesus did, I would fail, which doesn't mean I shouldn't try. Um, but, um, you know, the, the heroine of this book, Neva, is someone who is almost goddess-like. And so, um, you know, if we were gods or goddesses, then presumably everybody we saw, all of the mortals, would seem um, quite deficient to us mm. and maybe even sort of pathetic and repulsive because they, they couldn't be on our level, right? Mm. And so um, why not um, imagine some kind of a place um, that is a really, really hard, grim kind of dive bar full of addicts and so at first you see it um, kind of the way that Neva does and it just seems like a really dismal place and then after a while um, you get used to it and you start seeing these people for who they are and their good days and bad days all this kind of stuff and suddenly you realize yeah they're just like us and that um, if you get to know anybody in any sort of life, after a while, it becomes normalized. Um, and so, um, to Neva, it wouldn't really matter, you know, whether we were um, alcoholics or whether we were um, successful stockbrokers or whatever. From her point of view, um, we're all in need and we're all, therefore, addicted. 
so, um, you know, since I had spent some time in these bars, it was kind of fun to um, make up one of my own for my parable. Right, yeah, and I know that some of our listeners uh, live or used to live in the Tenderloin, and imagining a dive bar full of addicts is not something that you need to stretch your imagination too hard uh, to do. No, it's not heavy lifting, yeah, that's for sure. (laughs) Right, exactly. Um, I'm wondering, Bill, as you write, uh, do you compartmentalize your work? And what I mean by this is... You have your seven dreams, uh, then you have your tenderloin novels, you have your travel-based interview narratives, you have your philosophical treatises. As you begin a new project, do you say, well, I finished another tenderloin novel, time for a book uh, about Iraq, or time for another of the seven dreams, or do you just go wherever your current interests take you? I would say the second, Jason. You know, it's a little bit like um, going out into the world and meeting people. Um, you meet some people who you already know and you meet new people and some of them interest you more than others Um, and it's not a big deal um, you know to have a coffee with your new friend and chat with your old friend on the phone um, and be open to whatever happens and that's sort of how it is with me I have lots of different projects some of which will never be completed. Others kind of complete themselves for me, you know, like a construction project that you see that seems to be just um, a rectangular hole in the ground until maybe the last month. And then suddenly the scaffolding's flying up um, and then they start adding the doors and windows. And it's just amazing how quickly it changes from day to day. Mm-hmm. Um, there are lots of, um, of stories and essays and books that I write that are like that. And then there are some, you know, that uh, um, haven't even been excavated into a hole in the ground. And so I'm just like a little uh, blue collar contractor going from job site to job site and um, trying to live in the moment and remember that um, every um, additional bit of rebar or pipe is always its own thing. Right. Thanks, Bill. Um, the first yeah, the first time you visited us here in Raleigh, North Carolina, back in 2014, you had just completed a work called The Book of Dolores, which is a process narrative in which you become a woman named Dolores and photograph yourself and draw yourself and spend a period of time living in the world and experiencing the world as Dolores. In what way is The Book of Dolores related to The Lucky Star? Well... Um, the book of Dolores in a way um, you know it was its own thing but it also um, ended up um, um, as many projects do you know becoming um, a rehearsal in a way for another project and um, one of the characters in the Lucky Star um, is a trans woman uh, originally named Frank, uh, uh, who now calls herself Judy after Judy Garland. And uh, apparently, if Judy had been a boy, they would have named her Frank. So that's why I picked that name. And um, Judy um, is, in some ways, um, a little bit like me. Um, She is um, 
you know, uh, in late middle age, of course, I'm, I'm old now, I'm 60, but, um, and um, um, she's not very pretty. Um, she's got a bit of a belly and some hair and so forth. And she would really, really like to be beautiful. And she can convince herself that she is. But then um, when she goes out into the world, um, most people, um, are not very nice to her because she doesn't really pass. And um, my experience, you know, doing the Dolores stuff was that um, that poor girl was never going to win any beauty contest. And um, she sure looked a lot better to me when I took off my glasses and couldn't see her too well in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Um, and fortunately, um, I'm um, a happily heterosexual person who doesn't have to, um, you know, to really feel too bad um, if a, a female identity I um, occasionally play with does not impress anybody else. Um, Judy uh, is someone who really has the gender dysphoria um, and um, just feels um, far more um, anguished about life than I ever did. Um, And she's also a masochist. Um, So um, when I was writing this book, I didn't want it to be just another one of my um, typically dark books, even though in, in many ways this is a rather gloomy book as always. Um, but I felt really, really stuck. Um, um, how could um, anything good happen to Judy, you know, um, based on who she was? And that's when I suddenly realized gosh, you know, I need to go out there um, and really try to listen to trannies and lesbians and see what they say. And um, I remember being up in Seattle um, with these two um, very, very uh, helpful young lesbians um, who became my friends. We were out... um, drinking at the Rose Bar, and I said, well, you know, I just don't know how to help Judy. And they said, well, tell me about her. I said, well, she's, she's not that bright, you know, she's not very pretty. In fact, she's quite disgusting. And so one of them said, well, Bill, all she needs to do is embrace her inner disgustingness. You know, that's what I did when I was coming out, and instantly I thought, yeah, that's right. She doesn't have to be you know, a complete man or woman or anything. And it doesn't matter if most people don't like her, if she can accept who she is. That's the main thing. And um, and more and more as I was interviewing, you know, these trannies and lesbians uh, and asking them about their lives, you know, they talked about how important it was um, to gain confidence and comfort, you know, in who they were, um, and to have some kind of a community that would support them. And so um, much of this uh, book is about um, how Judy tries to come to terms with who she is 
and she is a very, very rare person. Most people would not be anything like her. Um, but hopefully, um, I managed to bring her alive and make people see, oh, okay, all right, so she did embrace her, her inner disgustingness, and so uh, in her way, she has um, a very beautiful and loving soul. That was my, my hope anyway. Thank you, Bill. Oh, sure. Listeners, we are going to take a break for a word from our sponsor, and then I will be right back with William T. Volman. The Book and Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, Quail Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story. One that supports community. Listeners of Bookin can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter Bookin, B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'm back with William T. Volman, author of The Lucky Star, published by our friends at Viking. Bill, uh, you talked about this earlier, um, about Neva, also known as Karen, also known as the lesbian. Uh, was it your intention to make her a pseudo-religious figure? Yes. Um, she is... Um um, she has some traits like Jesus and some traits like Buddha. Um, she tries to uh, to respond to love, hatred, indifference, need, whatever, um, with unconditional love. Um, and Jesus and Buddha, of course, did that differently. Um, she is, in effect... Um, a very sexualized Jesus figure, um, and her um, apostles are all sexes and genders. Um, so um, I always thought, what would it be like if Jesus had been a woman? Um, would all the disciples have been um, competing for her attention? Um, you know, what would the role of Judas have been? Um, and, um, you know, one thing I like um, about the Catholic Church is that wherever they go, they'll say, okay, now let's make images of Jesus that look like you. Mm-hmm. So in Jamaica, for instance, I've seen some black Jesuses. Mm-hmm. And so um, half the human race is female. Why not imagine a female um, Jesus figure? Um, and to me, it doesn't really matter, you know, whether um, whatever people worship is um, a god or a goddess or something different. Right. And speaking of pseudo-religious figures, um, although along different lines, there is the trans woman that you spoke about earlier, uh, Judy, also known as Frank. You did a lot of research on Judy Garland uh, for this novel. Why Judy Garland? Well, the first thing I learned um, when I started um, researching this book was that um, 
Judy Garland is a heroine of gay men, mm -hmm. uh, interestingly enough. And then um, a lot of lesbians talked about um, how important she was to them, too. Um, and, you know, in a way, um, she was um, a celebrity goddess. Um, you know, um, Jesus' story ends, if you believe in his divinity, with a happy ending, right? Because after the crucifixion is the resurrection. Uh, most of the time, um, you know, we worship our celebrities and then we tear them down and crucify them. And then the only resurrection um, comes from the next celebrity. So um, Judy Garland, I think, had a horrible life. Um, you know, um, sort of pimped out by her mother to get into the industry, uh, taught to lie about her age, um, given um, drugs so that she wouldn't fully develop into a woman, um, giving, um, you know, Benzedrine to make her all perky on the set and then other drugs to help her sleep. So pretty soon, um, she was a messed up addict. And then um, um, she was always looking for love, never found it, you know. Um, each marriage was worse. Um, it's a really pretty sad story. And then I started looking at um, some of the other celebrities like Natalie Wood, you know, who um, was also kind of dragged into the business by her mother. It seems as if maybe, um, you know, she had some um, experiences as a young girl on the casting couch. And then, um, um, you know, she died young. Um, and you think, um, what is it about us, um, you know, that we like these, um, these tragic figures? Um, what, would, uh, what would Jesus be, you know? If, uh, if we'd never crucified him, would he mean as much to us? Um, there's something really, really dark um, in celebrity culture. Um, and so um, that's why um, um, there's something really sad about somebody who says, I wanna be like Judy Garland. Um, maybe she can take the light part and not the dark part. Um, but you wonder what it is that someone wants, really, when someone says, I'd like to be like Judy. Does somebody want to be able to um, to wow people um, by singing somewhere over the rainbow? Um, uh, my friend Gene, uh, in whose memory um, this book is dedicated, told me that uh, she had Judy Garland come for her, her coming out party. And uh, and I asked how it was, and she said it was just stunning, you know, to hear her sing. Um, and I would have loved to have that experience. Um, but um, I wish there could have been a way for the Judy Garlands of the world to be happier. Right, and along the same lines, um, you also mentioned Natalie Wood, but in the book you bring up uh, Marlene Dietrich, Greta Garbo, uh, Betty Boop, 
Serena Williams and Martina Navratilova multiple times. Uh, why these women in particular? Well, um, um, I once read a book about um, lesbian idolification, as it was called. Um, um, and uh, Martina, I guess, uh, is or was, um, you know, um, an object of um, desire and emulation uh, with lesbians. Um, but, you know, all these, these, uh, these different celebrity heroines, it doesn't really matter who they are. The point is that um, we fix on somebody for a while, um, and then we get somebody else. Um, and that's what happens uh, with Neva, too. After a while, um, she's out of the picture, and then at the Y bar they find, you know, someone else to really excite them. Um, could something like that happen in a real bar? I doubt it, you know, um, because um, most likely everybody um, would just be sort of on the same level. Um, but this is a parable, you know, about someone who comes into our world, whatever it is, and someone who is um, not only infinitely damaged, uh, but infinitely lovable. And I imagine that's what it would be like um, to be Judy Garland. Maybe that's what it would have been like to be Jesus. How can I say? Right. Thank you. Um, I want to ask you about the influence of technology on your writing, specifically on the writing of this novel, The Lucky Star. I've read a lot of your work, Bill, and this is the first time I can remember seeing so many references to cell phones, websites, social media, and the like. Were you particularly um, focused on this aspect of technology in the world as you were writing The Lucky Star, or has this type of internet and web technology just become so much a part of day-to-day -day life that you can't not write about it? Um, yeah, I really wanted to resisted all my life because of course um i hate all that stuff um i despise the instant communication which makes everybody constantly interruptible so it's much harder for people to stay focused on anything to read a book or watch a movie without a cell phone going off or whatever um i despise even more um the data collection um the unholy alliance between corporations and governments um, to spy on us, um, and um, um, and I really despise the um, the shallowness, um, the commercial triviality of the whole thing, and so um, you know. Um, Near the beginning, um, back in the 1970s, before um, Karen goes to her lesbian island uh, and becomes Neva, gets magic powers, and seems to be eternally um, youthful, um, you know, there are no cell phones. And then suddenly, um, I thought, all right, let's bring her into the present. So here are the cell phones, but, um, you know, I have to hold my nose and gag when I write about all that stuff. So it was my great pleasure um, to make up the most um, 
ridiculous, um, obnoxious sounding um, names for websites. Um, and of course, to do the same thing with um, the names of cars, the names of foods, the names of supermarkets, and the names of um, different kinds of bourbon and so forth. Um, all the stuff with um, with brand names has continually repulsed me. So um, why not make them sound as repulsive as they make me um, <laughs> think <laughs> they are? <laughs> right. Great. Thanks, Bill. And besides technology, this book is concerned with sensation, uh, orgasms, drugs, alcohol, vomiting, page after page after page of physical sensation and mental stimulation via the ingestion of drugs and alcohol. Uh, can you talk about this aspect of your novel? Well, um, you know, of course, I want all the listeners to know that I'm a virgin and that all this stuff is, you know, is really hearsay. Um, you know, I think that um, marijuana is some kind of shampoo, right? Isn't that what it is? <laughs> I've, I've never seen it. Right. Um, um, but, um, I mean, one of the, uh, the most wonderful things about sex is that there is um, a point where, um, where you are really living in the moment. And then the moment um, contracts to an instant. Uh, and, um, and that may be one definition of ecstasy. Um, you know, when I read descriptions of um, religious enlightenment and ecstasy there, um, it often sounds kind of similar. Um, and I'm thinking that um, if you could have some sort of union with the goddess, um, it would be um, a very, very um, sexual-like pleasure. Um, and, um, you know, and drugs, of course, um, can also help people live in the moment. Um, you know, the, the thing I started wondering about Neva and all these people who needed her so much was um, how good would it be for them in the long run? Um, and, um, and I decided that um, we don't need to say for sure whether it's something about Neva being a human instead of a real goddess or something about us um, being uh, deficient, but um, you know, if a human overuses a drug, um, or um, um, or tries too hard um, to make sex the center of his life, um, then after a while, it's like you know, chasing the dragon, as the crack addicts would say. You know, you start um, doing more and more and getting less and less, and after a while. Um, you might even start feeling sick. Um, and so there's a period in the book uh, where um, Neva's worshipers, when they go away from her, start feeling withdrawal. Um, and then um, they have to, uh, have to cope with it. And of course, um, the best thing they could do 
And this is probably what, you know, a Jesus figure would say is, well, then you have to go out and love each other because whatever you do for each other, you're doing for me. Um, so um, a few of the characters get that and actually are able to become more loving once they realize that um, that just trying to glom on to Neva all the time is not going to suffice for them. Right. Thank you, Bill. Um, oh, sure. On page 477 of the galley, at least, uh, there's a section where the narrator quotes from a three-page editorial letter remarking that, to be honest, I do wonder whether some readers will simply tire of, for example, all the climaxing in the book, of all the descriptions of sex acts. Does that end up having a bit of a deadening, boring effect? End quote. Uh, why include this letter in this book? <laughs> well, um, it's a legitimate issue, right? And um, so why not address it head on and let people know that I am thinking about it. Mm. And um, I'm not going to be the one to say what kind of effect um, this book has on people. That would be um, very presumptuous of me. But I'm sure that um, for many people, um, you know, all the sex acts will have a deadening effect. Maybe for some of them, you know, it won't. Um, you know, when you read, um, say, the Marquis de Sade, it's one crazy scene after another, and at first it's kind of titillating, and then after a while, you remember, yeah, uh, here's this twisted guy locked up in a prison cell, just churning all this out, uh, you know, and um, probably masturbating, knowing that he's never, ever going to be able to realize these fantasies and there's something kind of dreary about it um and you know in the lucky star i guess i mean this is just my interpretation and and you know just because i wrote it doesn't mean that i have the correct interpretation um but um i you know i would think that um the the sexual experiences and the drug experiences of others in the Y bar would after a while or, or even very quickly um, seem dreary to me, but very likely, you know, if I had some Neva to go to, um, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't think that my experiences were dreary. You know, when, when you really, really, um, are addicted to something or to somebody um, and addiction in the way I use it is not necessarily a bad thing although it can be um, then um, you're just going to be focused on replicating this experience that gives you um, gratification or more um, and it doesn't matter um, you know that to everyone else um, you know, here is sad, pathetic, alcoholic Bill just um, making the same mistake over and over and over. Um, um, we can't uh, see into other people's minds in real life. And 
the lucky star tries to see into their minds and also tries to see into the minds of others who are watching them and judging them. So um, that's the reason, I guess, that I, I wanted to address that. All right. And finally, Bill, in the afterword to this novel, you state... As for Judy Garland herself, I wouldn't live her life for a million applause generators. Can you elaborate on this thought, please? Well, um, you know, to uh, um, to be a drug addict and to be, um, um, you know, everyone's idol, but um, to never really find... Um, happiness with another person or not for very long at least that's the impression i get from her biography um it sounds really really sad and it's almost as if um you know the um the celebrity industry um just um fattens up these victims and sacrifices them for us one after another um and um you know maybe if i um if i could have been judy garland i'm sure i would have had um you know all kinds of thrilling moments and maybe i would have thought that my life was okay um you know some people think that i've had a sad life i don't feel that i have and um it's really really hard um for us to judge others but um Based on what I've read about her, I feel really, really sorry for all that Judy Garland suffered. Thank you so much, Bill. Sure. Listeners, I have been speaking with William T. Volman, author of The Lucky Star, published by our friends at Viking. Bill, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you, my friend. Once again, I would like to thank William T. Volman for joining me. Copies of The Lucky Star can be purchased in person at Quill Ridge Books and online at www.quillridgebooks.com. The North Carolina Book Festival and Quill Ridge Books Arts and Lecture Series is coming up in March. More information can be found at www.quillridgebooks.com. Featured authors are Therese Ann Fowler, James McBride, and Valeria Luiselli. $85 gets you priority seating and signing line access for each of these events and a copy of each author's book. My name is Jason Jefferies, and this has been Bookin'.